With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast edition. Week 3 recap. MWWire.com's website. Thanks, everybody, who stopped by to check it out. MWC Wire Twitter, where we accept your Saturday, Sunday morning feelings about your team. Thanks for that. Facebook, Mount West Wire. And, yeah, Jeremy Moss, Matt Kennerly. And you're a bit more happier today, I'm assuming, than last week? Uh, I, f- I think that's fair to say, yeah. With your uh, Fresno State team basically crushing UCLA? We'll talk more about that a little bit. And definitely we'll get to all that. Week three. See, for me, week three, as we get going here, I was thinking, like, I made too big of a deal about it because Boise State lost. We'll talk about that, their Oklahoma State game. We saw Raj on TV quite a bit, so congrats on that, sort of. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm like, man, is this week a downer? Because like, I, I had a crazy week and weekend, so I crashed like at 8.30 last night and slept for like 12 hours and watched a bunch of games this morning. I'm like, no, the week was actually pretty good. It's just one team kind of didn't do all that great. That's all. But overall, well, and, it was good, right? And we'll, and, well, I mean, I would say maybe more than one team, depending on how you look at things. Sure. But, you know, when it co- I'll just give my quick Boise State thoughts real quick just uh, before we jump into it a little later in the podcast. But I don't think that the margin of victory – like, I feel like the final score is deceptive. I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, we'll get to that too. Like I said, I watched games this morning. I was debating, should I even watch this game? I did, and we'll talk later. But let's get to Utah State to – oh, boy. Wall-to-wall dominance. Even though we made an error in a Chucky, T- Chucky Keaton tweet – sorry about that, Coach – well, but, that was that was an extension of of the Facebook cameraman's error. Oh, okay. So did they say it was Chucky Keaton or something? Uh, uh, yeah, they thought it was Chucky Keaton, and apparently it was someone else on the Utah State staff. I looked at him like it. It, it honestly does look a little bit like him, but it's uh, it wasn't quite him. He responded. Eh, in it happens fun. in good fun. It's okay, but th- it was dominant. Outside of that one error, I'll say, and giving up the first. Uh, weren't they down three to zero? Did it, I think that's, that's, yeah, that's true. They were <laughs> Tennessee Tech. I, I pulled the highlights for um, just kind of our um, recap scoreboard thing I posted this morning. I found some pretty good YouTube channels, Matt, that have like eight minute highlights of a game. So if you ever miss a game, folks, check out some of the feed, the links I put on tape for YouTube, where there's not just a two minute highlight, but a good eight to ten minutes of a game. Where well, can we also it. just give a real quick shout out to all of those anonymous people who are putting full games up on YouTube? That too, yes. And usually they stay online too. Usually. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was looking around. I'm like, I want more than a 90-second highlight. I want more than what the Pac-12 Network put out for the Oregon State-Nevada game. And I found a few that were a good six-minute plus. So, mm. heroes, right? Yes. All right, so Utah State. All, all we're going to say about this game is that 73-12, had they only beat Michigan State, they'd probably be getting some votes or maybe even ranked possibly or close to it. But what you and I said about this game, we want to see running game. Check. You wanted to see uh, Jordan Love go off and be amazing. Check. Pretty much checked every box that we wanted, even defense, 12 points. Yeah, it's really hard to find fault just because all three phases of the game were really clicking for the Aggies. You know, you mentioned, you know, the running game. They had a combined 320 yards on the ground. They were averaging well over seven yards carry. You know, that's a plus. 
Jordan Love went out and went 21 of 26 for 236 yards and then two scores. That's a plus. And on the defensive side, they were pretty much dominant. I'm trying to count how many tackles for loss they had. I think it was something like 10 or 11. You know, the one guy that really stands out is Fuele Lua, who had three and a half tackles for loss. You know, they won the turnover battle. They were pretty much just dominant. They even had another special team score from Jordan Nathan. It's all they did was a crushing win. That's all. They beat Tennessee Tech. Great. Yes. they didn't make any – it's the, when you play these teams, you want to see, like I said, wall-to-wall coverage, dominant coverage, or not coverage, but just winning. And like I said, defense played well. Everybody played well. This won't happen again for Utah State. Well, do they play San Jose State? Just asking. Do they? Is that in the schedule? Oh, I wish I had that in front of me. Uh, I have, no, no, they do not. That's unfortunate. There's no San Jose. Oh, yes. Nope, they do. Week um, before they play CSU. So there's another chance for a performance like this, but – all, all you want to see in this game is be healthy, get some backup some time, because, heck, did you see what um, good old Henry Colombi did, 9 for 9 as quarterback? I did. He actually looked pretty sharp in the second half. So seven rushing touchdowns, rushing game is there. Everything was fine. It's This is uh, what you want in these heavy games. So we'll see what they do next week. Because, again, they almost beat Michigan State. They uh, Oh, crap, what did they do last week? Um Last week, they crushed New Mexico State. Oh, New Mexico State, that's what it was, yeah. They scored 133 points in two games. Mm -hmm. They're averaging like 50 points a game. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, it's the first time in school history they've cracked 70 points. Wouldn't surprise me. We'll see next week they have Air Force. It'll be a bit tricky, but that's a good one. So keep rolling, Aggies, right? Aggie up, is that what they say? I believe it's Aggies all the way. Oh, I've seen. i been hashtagging Aggie up. Maybe I'll update that. Because I think Aggie Up is actually the New Mexico State hashtag. Oh, maybe I should stop doing that then. Yeah. Is that a faux pas, I guess? It might be, yeah. All right, so let's let's do this. Let's go to next game, Army and Hawaii. My quest for 6-0 in September fell through. But the first drive was amazing. They went down about four plays, touched long touchdown pass. They're up 28. They lose 28-21, but they're up 7-0, 7-7. And then, hey, Army threw 10 times, Matt. That's unprecedented <laughs> well it's not only that they threw 10 times but you know their quarterback kendall hopkins completed six of those passes and he had 162 yards on those six completions so they were really able to beat hawaii over the top in a way that you know the other teams that they've played so far really haven't been and they were having to play from behind more often than they've had to in these first few weeks and when you also combine that with the fact that Army was able, was really able to shut down the running game, you know, it was one of those instances where you know, Dayton Furuta only had 21 yards rushing and he only had three carries. You know, nobody on the team had more than Cole McDonald's six carries. And that, I believe, is in part due to the fact that Army also had three sacks, which counts as a carry. So they were really putting the game in Cole McDonald's hands maybe more than they wanted to, especially when you consider that they only ran 45 offensive plays. That is a huge drop off from what they had been doing in the first few weeks. And for as explosive as the offense was at certain points, you know, let's not forget they had that first really explosive drive. They also had the last scoring drive they had, which was an 80 yard pass from McDonald to John Ursua. But between there, it was, you know, a lot of a lot of inefficiency. They were one of seven on third downs. They were 0 for two on fourth downs. 
And when you compare that to what Army was able to do, they basically played the same kind of game that, you know, San Diego State fans are probably nodding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there because they were 11 of 19 on third down and three of four on fourth down. The Hawaii defense was just not able to get off the field for much of the game. Yeah, they had difference in plays. You mentioned what forty five plays for Hawaii Army ran uh, sixty six rushes, ten passes for a grand total of seventy six. So mm-hmm. we have what thirty more plays, a lot more chances. And then you mentioned the third down conversion. That was the big deal for, and I think that was the biggest thing in this game on both sides. Hawaii went for a fourth down on their second possession, didn't get it. They were zero for two on fourth down, one for seven on third downs. Whereas that's where they've been converting the past couple weeks when they played CSU. Playing, uh, playing all those teams the past couple weeks, and uh, um, Duquesne and whoever they've been playing, um, Navy, who came to town last week, they were getting those done. This week, they did not. Defense, like you said, 11-19 allowed, 3-4 and 4th down allowed. They convert a couple of those. Maybe they win, but that also contributes to the amount of time because their defense is back on the field, where when you go 3 and out, it can't convert, and then you allow the Army to have those long, long drives. Like, even when Army's, like, look at their drives. They had a 14-play drive. Even all these they did eight play drive that ended up in a missed field goal, but there were so many drives they had, like multiple ten plus play drives. Three was it four of the five in the second half or ten plus drive or excuse me, three of the five. Mm-hmm. And the first one they punted after going ten plays. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's that's a big deal. They running is a big deal. They couldn't run the ball at all. And Fred Holly and McDonald, like Holly had th- two carries. That's it. One yard. One singular that's, yard. That's probably not gonna get it done in the long term. No, and we knew this Hawaii team wasn't going to be like top 20 team, most likely top 15, had they even won. Their offense had been good enough, but again, we've said this in the offseason before, the defense is an issue. Look how many points versus CSU they gave up. Navy had a lot of points against this team. It's going to be, this. like you said, they're going to be entertaining, which they are because they're winning. This game wasn't a shootout, but for an Army game when they control the ball as much as they do, it's a lot of points for a game where they, they had it for 41 minutes, that Army did. Mm-hmm. So Hawaii scored... More than a point a minute when they had the ball. Yeah, and <laughs> and the other thing is too is that you know after a couple of instances where the the front seven was pretty disruptive, the other big thing from this game was that they weren't able to really be disruptive up front. They only had two tackles for loss, and that is kind of a step back from what they did against Navy, which runs a similar kind of offense, obviously. But it kind of makes you wonder how effective that front four is going to be in particular when they go up against some of the running heavy teams in the West division. You know, we obviously the two big ones are Fresno state and San Diego state, but that is one of those things where in the weeks to come, they're going to have to prove that they can do that consistently. We don't know. We don't know. Here's the thing too. I figured with them playing Navy last week and then army this week, they would have had a better handle against that. I know it's a, Different players, different scheme for a little bit, but it's very similar, that run option attack. And so mm-hmm. I kind of figured that's, that's more of an advantage than not. <clears throat> Seeing it back-to-back, you're like, oh, you're already sort of familiar with what they're doing. And that's, it's just the defense is the issue for them. And offense stalled out way too many times. That's true. So Hawaii's still good. They're probably still they're still on track for bowl game. They got Duquesne next week. I was thinking of Rice earlier, not Duquesne. Duquesne at San Jose State. Heck, they seriously, they could be – not to go into it, but they'll win next week. They probably would at San Jose State. Well, I mean, it doesn't look great because they barely won against, won against Wofford. So there's a chance they could uh, be 6-1. Yeah, there's a, there's still a lot to look forward to, but there's still a lot of work to be done. There's work to, yeah, work to be done. Just the next couple weeks, they should be fine. 
But we'll see when they play like Nevada, who will have a lot of points. When Fresno, who can run fairly well. UNLV, San Diego State. They're, they're still better than what we thought by a lot. And they're going to be a lot of close games because of this offense. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, next game, we have an audible here. Have you been monitoring our direct messages, Matt? I have not. So Raj is in route back from to Nebraska from Oklahoma. He was wondering, and we're going to do this on the fly and not edit this out because we're pros. He would like to join at the end to talk about this game. Would you want to postpone the Boise game to the end of this? Let's do that. All right, we'll talk Boise State, New Year's Six implications afterwards. So stay for that, folks. We'll have another portion of the podcast. So let's go into the next game, which will be, if my time is correct here, it's the Wolford-Wyoming game. Is that right? That would be one of them, yeah. Well, let's just go there because it was a, a terrible game. Not just... that, that game nearly put me to sleep. I'm not going to lie. Hey, if I wasn't tired enough, I would have fallen asleep even earlier yesterday. And, I, and I'm already prone to taking mid-afternoon naps. Yeah. Uh, they won seven. Here's a good thing. They won. That's Perfect. true. They did play a triple option team, which is tricky, no matter what level you're at. Um, Vanderwall had did okay. 224 yards, probably threw way more than he wanted to in 42 times. Um, they ran because Nico Evans is still out. You had a, who is it? Xavier uh, Valade. I can never say his name. Xavier Valade for 57 yards. Austin Conway did all right, but defense did the thing 14 points, but offense has to, it's, it's, I'm blaming the offense on this. That's what I'm going to say. Six of 15 on fourth downs. Or should be third downs, not fourth. That'd be amazing if they're that fourth down conversion go for it 15 times, but I'm just gonna say the offense. That's all it is, right? Offense has to get better. So there was this, there was the one, the first scoring drive that they had, which was about midway through the second quarter. Johanna Guy fan had forced a fumble, and they had recovered it. So they were set up basically on Wolford's doorstep, <laughs> and they basically just could not move the ball at all. The powerful had, Wolford and defense, to, and they had to, <laughs> exactly. And you know when you go and you look, and yeah, Nico missing Nico Evans hurts, but you know, at some point, injuries it, aren't going to be an excuse. You know, it, being able to average just three point three yards per carry is not going to be an excuse. They and, just weren't able to move the ball much throughout the afternoon. I believe they had like six different drives that went ten yards or less. It's an FCS team as well. It's like, come on, yeah, you can't get ten yards on first and goal. Oh, yeah, and they were also outgamed through three quarters. Uh, Rocket Ishmael Jr. saved today for the victory at the end. Mm-hmm. So that's a it's a good, or I guess, is, should we call him Rocket Ishmael or is it, should we call him Rakeeb Ishmael? That's a good question. I don't know because his dad's Rocket Ishmael. Mm-hmm. It's just simple enough, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know that there are any easy answers for this offense, especially when you consider that the Wyoming defense played a pretty good game. You know, they only had one sack. But they did force three turnovers. You know, part of the problem is that they were only able to turn those three turnovers into three points. I will say this. The last turnovers were 12 seconds left, so. That's true. Yeah, I was going to mention that just now. Okay. It's just, you know, they are still getting the same kinds of opportunities that the defense was able to give them last year. And kind of like last year, they've been a little bit hit or miss as far as being able to do anything with those things. I'll give you one, one, one positive thing here. It was 14 to 10. Wolford punts. First off, interception. Okay, they force interception or get an interception. Uh, so Wolford gets the ball back. Wolford punts. There's about two minutes left in the game. They go 80 yards and get a touchdown to end the game, essentially. That's a good positive. Have a nice drive. 13 plays, 80 yards, and a touchdown. That's obviously very good. 
that's probably the only good thing out of the game. Probably the best. It was clearly the best drive of the game. So they got that done, which is great. But all these punts, all these no converting uh, points after turnovers, just not scoring points against a FCS defensive team or FCS team. Like they, not to say they put up more points versus New Mexico State than this. I mean, I'll give credit to Vanderwall because he too did step up in the fourth quarter. He was thirteen of twenty-two for one hundred and forty-eight yards in that game-winning pass. But we have really yet to see him put together a full 60 minutes. And I think until he does that, that offense is still going to be held back a little bit, no matter what else th- what else they do. So this offense is worse than last year, right? For the moment, I think you kind of have to make that <laughs> argument. I, yeah, because, I mean, through, like, now he's played four games. Vanderwall is only completing 53% of his passes. Josh Allen-esque. <laughs> well, he's only averaging 5.3 yards per attempt, and he has two touchdowns and two interceptions. His his quarterback rating is 99.99. That's not good. It's, it's not good so far. Oh, man. I... So he's going to have to be a little bit better. He's going to have to show more of what we saw in that fourth quarter. But I think it's a. But I think if you're looking for a positive sign, it's the fact that he was able to put that, you know, put those couple of drives together. That is the one good thing, and they obviously need more of those. So we'll see what they do going forward. But yeah, it's they're two and two, right? That's good enough, right? I think they're still good enough to give some teams headaches, but the offense is going to still have to find some answers. At the very least, the offense needs to have long drives, even if they don't score points, to give the defense yeah. a break. At least. That's that's like setting the bar so low, though. You know what I mean? Like, give us six plays, offense. Six plays a drive, and we'll be good. That's, uh... All right, let's go to another uh, disappointing game. We'll go to Florida 48, Colorado State 10. That's putting it mildly disappointing. Hey, <laughs> hey they're not going back-to-back versus SEC school. So how many um, – one good, one cool thing about the game, Florida offered free tickets to those who had to uh, flee Hurricane Florence to maybe give them a couple hours of fun and try mm-hmm. not to think about the uh, – the storm crashing down in the Carolina area. So there's that. So hopefully some people got to spend a few hours hanging out. Uh, Colin Hill played, which me and our buddy, Justin Michael said should not happen, but he, that did happen. Uh, and he wasn't actually very good. Two of eight, 23 yards. Marvin Kinsey's ran pretty well. That's nice. Here's the thing. I barely watched this game. If you look at what the Florida did offensively, they did basically nothing. They is did... this the, is this the worst half of football that it's, that a team is will play all year long? Which half? The first or second? The, fir- half? the first half. <laughs> Possibly, it's. It was brutal, man. I mean, two t- two fumbles lost, two missed field goals, and granted, the, the field goals that Wyatt Bryant missed weren't gimmies. And the first one was. Well, the first one was forty-one. The the second one was fifty-three. So it's not like they were chip shots or anything like that. But it's just you've got to take advantage of opportunities like that, especially when the defense was doing its job for most of that first half. It was I think I saw the stat where Felipe Franks had missed his first six passes. And so his quarterback rating for that moment in time was something like negative 33. That's so boy. <laughs> like you, you can't let that guy beat you eventually. And that's exactly what he did in the second half because he started – over six, but then I think he was eight for his next nine, and that's all he needed to do to beat this team. Like the offense wasn't even outgained by that much. No. They were it was like a difference of maybe thirty yards between the two offenses. They yeah. ran twice as many plays. That's kind of the problem, is they weren't <laughs> as efficient. They were just bad all around. Eight of twenty on third downs, Matt. Yeah. One point seven yards per rush. That 
two special teams touchdowns against them. Well, like, and that, that rushing number is skewed by the fact that, oh, sacks. by the way, they also gave up five sacks, which yeah. totaled 41 yards. Well, Kinsey did all right. He had 15 for 79, which is pretty good. And Preston Williams showed up with nine for 106. And then a few deep bombs on there. A few, um, or excuse me, oh, geez, ESPN lists McBride twice, Trey McBride twice. So I figured, mm-hmm. oh, maybe he did well. No, he did not throw for 300 yards. They had to throw through about the 240. But they had a couple decent passing plays. But you're right, they out, it was based special teams. The two touchdowns and defense did fine. Like when they fumbled the ball twice, they held Florida to two field goals. So it could have been maybe add another six points on there. And this Florida offense isn't good. As you can tell by the actual time they had the ball, they did Mm -hmm. not move the ball very well because actual touchdown drives that were not a special teams play. They went a, a, a solid five for 65 for a touchdown. They had a six play drive, which is okay. 44 yards. Those are basically, there are a couple, like another drive is four. They had three, Three total drives that led in a touchdown on offense. Mm-hmm. And their field position on those were really good, like about uh, the 40-ish range, 30 to 40 range. And so they were getting good field position and only needed a handful of plays to get a touchdown. And so I feel, I feel really bad for K.J. Carter-Samuels. He did pretty good. He did reasonably they put, well. I, they put a lot in his hands, to try to, especially to try to convert those third downs. He was 12 of 16 on third down. That's good. That's really good. Except, except the average third down that they had was nearly nine yards. <laughs> they, were just at a, they were just at a disadvantage all game long, and the opportunities that they got, they basically shot themselves in the foot at every opportunity. Is this serious question? Is this more coaching type stuff with these chances that they're getting and not converting? I have no idea. I'm start. I mean, I'm kind of thinking that it is because we've seen the individual performances that the Rams have been able to have so far. You know, we mentioned Carter Samuels. He did complete almost two thirds of his passes again, and he did have 217 yards and a score. Mm-hmm. You know, they did have a couple of nice individual performances on defense. Like VJ Banks had an interception in the first half. That was a pretty heads up play, mm-hmm. if you're asking me. It's just. I don't know. I don't know if there's one thing you can pin it on at this point. Well, there's no play caller besides Mike Bobo. And the offensive line's not doing their job. Florida had nine TFLs and five sacks. Yeah. And even with the five sacks, like you said, Carter Samuel still completed two-thirds of his passes. It, yeah, it's, defense is not, well, this isn't even a defensive effort because defense did okay. Like, Like I said, there's only a handful of drives where Florida outside of getting good field position because they had to punt on offense for Colorado State, the defense didn't really give up all that much. Because yeah, that's it, another thing. Florida also had like a field position advantage of about 13 yards. Yeah. You know, Colorado State on average was starting at their own 26. Florida was starting at their own 39. Yeah, that's where those three touchdown drives came from, that 30 to 50 range midfield. But if you look at this, like in the second half, Colorado State, yeah, they're down 27-10 or 27-3. They score a touchdown, force a punt. Then they forced they forced two punts, but then they had the special teams miscue fumble. It's like, jeez, I don't know. Would it would it be fair to say that Mike Bobo now has the hottest seat of any coach in the Mountain West? I don't know, Brett Brennan, man, they're pretty awful. <laughs> we'll talk about that more in a minute. Do you ever go to the hot seat coach website? I do not. I'm gonna pull that up real quick and see because they probably updated it from town. I want to take a quick look and see coaches hot seat 2018. Do you want to take a guess who number one is? Oh, is it Chad Morris? No, Urban Meyer. Oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, let's see. Coach's hot seat as of September 26th right now. 
I don't know how often they update, but <laughs> this can't be too accurate because they have like Willie. Well, they've Kalani Sitake, number four BYU, and they beat Wisconsin. He's perfectly fine. Uh, Brett Brennan's the highest Mountain West coach on this list here. They don't, they don't even have on their homepage of all the little photos. They have Tony Sanchez on there as well for some reason. So I don't know what the deal is with that. This doesn't seem the best website to be looking at the moment because they seem weird. But uh, as for your question at hand, I would say yes. Why would it? I mean, be? I mean, I think it maybe helps a little bit that their their immediate forthcoming schedule is a little more manageable because they do get to go home and host Illinois State. Although at this point, I don't know that that would be a guarantee <laughs> with the way this team has been playing recently. And then they get to go to San Jose State and then home versus New Mexico. But I don't know, man. I'm a, let's just put it this way. I think I'm officially retiring from leading the Rams' bad wagon this fall. There you go. That works for me. All right, next game. Where should we go next? We have a lot of similar times. Is it uh, Oregon State, Nevada? Or sure. Uh, or San Jose. Yeah. yeah, we'll go Oregon State, Nevada. We'll get yeah, back let's to do that. My ESPN list goes in. Uh, ranked teams order so it's not chronological order after games are gone final so first off good for nevada 37 35 beating oregon state to extend their is it nation's longest road losing streak at 21 if not if, if, it's, if it's not the it's longest, up there it's, it's pretty close yeah <laughs> so and nevada almost blew this game too they had a pretty sizable lead where they were at one point they're up 32 7 and they lost this game First half thirty. To, no, no, should be yeah. They're up thirty-seven in the first half and almost lost this game. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where you start with this game. It was a really weird game in a lot of respects. Just well, because you know, in the first half especially, the offense was off to a great start. Especially Ty Ganji. You know, before halftime, he was eleven of seventeen, one hundred and fifty-one yards and two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And then after halftime, the wheels just kind of fell off the passing game. He only finished 17 of 35. Maybe Oregon picked him up a little bit, figured him out. Maybe. I I didn't actually get a chance to watch too much of this game. But I think it helps a little bit of, you know, his inefficiency was offset by the fact that the running game did finally come back a little bit. And a lot of that credit goes to Toa Tawa, who finished 12 carries, 81 yards, and a touchdown. And one for one with a six-yard pass. That too. You're a hero if you watch this game because have you seen the second half drive chart? I did. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight consecutive punts. Well, you know what though? That's a credit to the Nevada defense. Yes, I will give them credit, but it still is like, come on, really? Eight punts. Because it was because it was one of those instances where they really made Oregon State one dimensional to have to try to throw to win this game. And, you know, maybe credit to the Beavers because they almost did it. Because I don't – do you happen to know what happened to Connor Blunt, though? I didn't see. I just know they played two quarterbacks and both played well. Yeah, because between Blunt and Jake Luton, who I thought had lost the starting job, the two of them combined for 459 yards, which is not great. No. But they me. really no. but they really needed to – they needed both of those guys, especially after halftime, just because – you know, in in the fourth quarter, they didn't really get a chance to use the running game all that much, and so maybe yeah, you could say the off the defense survived in some respects. But let's not forget they also racked up eleven tackles for loss and five sacks as well. So they were getting to the quarterback. They were being disruptive. They were really making Oregon State work for it, and 
you know, like they did last week against Vanderbilt, even though it didn't work out, their playmakers made plays too. Malik Raid had a very critical fumble recovery late in the or early in the first half. That you know, when you look at the final score, that made the difference because they were up thirty to seven by that point, mm-hmm. and they needed that one last Kelton Moore run in the fourth quarter to really put them over the top. But their defense stepped up. They made plays. They shut down Oregon State. By the way, the Beavers were only 3 of 15 on third downs as well. So, yeah, maybe it was a little bit rough around the edges. And it, it wasn't without some kind of controversy, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the defense got it done. And the offense did just enough to put them over the finish line. Really quick, uh, uh, Jake Luton hurt his ankle. That's why they, they played both quarterbacks. Oh, okay. And then also, do we even talk about the final um, field goal? Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, it was no good, clearly, because it would have been a game winner. Uh, somebody posted a video to us on Twitter feed. Apparently, it looks like there probably should have been roughing the kicker. Yeah, I could kind of see that. Because I'm going to pull up the video again, but typically, if you're kicking a field goal, when your leg's up in the air, you're going to be kind of protected. Yeah. And this was a kick where it was kind of his leg, other leg wasn't there. Like, he was still extending that leg. Mm-hmm. And, and he got hit basically in the knee from his plant foot. That's probably should have been probably not roughing, but I don't know. Would it be roughing or running running into the kicker? I think if it's as mild as it looked, it's probably running into the kicker. But nonetheless, you know, that's five yards. And that's not nothing when you're trying to set up for a game-winning attempt. Yeah, you're down to – it was a – how far was this field goal? I, mean, I wish I, I should have that in front of me before I start talking. It would have put them at the 10-yard line. So it would have been a 29-yarder from a 34-yarder. Yeah. Even the 34-yarder is makeable. I don't. I didn't see it live. I saw this thing after, and the video was sent to us. It was not – probably like off the cell phone, off the TV type of deal. Mm-hmm. And maybe they make it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Because it's five yards. That's a big deal. And maybe he got bumped and – or he did give up, excuse me, and that happened. So I probably would have given the penalty, given five more yards, and maybe that's a 38-37 loss for the Wolfpack. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Wolfpack fans are complaining, though. No, they're not, but I can see Oregon State. They're on the road, they lose to Nevada. Losing streak gets extended to 21 games. And, uh, yeah, I, I, will, I will give them credit. You're right, the second half, the first handful of drives is really good, so that's good for them. They're a game – here's the thing, too – Non-conference play, 2-1 and one is kind of where we thought they would be at. We thought maybe beat Vanderbilt, road game, but 2-1 and one is not far off from what we were. I just think last week versus Nevada was just uh, not a good showing by the offense at all, which well, hmm, doesn't help. Well, and one other thing to watch, especially in the weeks to come, was that they lost Brendan O'Leary Orange in the second half of this game as well. That's right. And I don't so, think there's an update on him yet, I don't believe. No, TB, I mean, he gave an update on Twitter. He said that he was appreciative of everybody's concern. And and while I'm tempted to say that Nevada will probably be fine, if only because we know they have so many playmakers, you know, not just McLean Mannix, but, you know, they have some other young guys who stepped up, like Romeo Dobbs had two catches for 38 yards. But that's still going to be a significant loss if he misses significant time. But that's something that... Bears watching. All right, I'm watching that field goal again. This would not. This should not be a penalty. Here's why. Also, mm-hmm. really quick, Nevada settled down with celebrating so hard after the win. No, no, no I no, encourage you, you, you. Go for it. Interesting to watch this one highlight. It seems they're a bit too excited. Uh, well, maybe not. I guess if it's a 
a game deciding kick at the end of the game to decide to get victory or loss. Okay, that's fair. They're excited. Let them have it. I don't care. Do what you want. Rush the field, fans. I don't care if you win. 50 to zero versus an FCS team rush the field. Go for it, right? Don't don't listen to Jeremy. Celebrate. Yeah, that's exactly. what makes this goofy game so great. I apologize. So I'm watching this again. Here's why I can see where they wouldn't call it, and I can see where you may think to call it. The guy, he, the kicker didn't really he he didn't hang his foot out there. But if you look at it, he fell over. He tried to act a little bit where it looks worse than what it was, where he fell forward over the guy. But his other mm-hmm. foot basically did hit the ground at some point after. At, moments before the guy was trying for the block so that's what looks like why it was not called all right so it's it's on the where i found if you go to a good video on some the espn just recap page over there so go check that out if you want to say you're right or i'm wrong but that's where i saw it and that's my non-expertise referee opinion comes into play all right should we go on to oregon san jose state who did cover this game they did cover for the second straight week that's the congrats they get or the credit for hey don't well, I guess if you, yeah, gamblers, if you're inclined to take the Spartans to cover, go for it. 35-22, they lose to Oregon, and hey, um, <laughs> two quarterbacks this game. Josh Love and Montel Aaron got got to see action. Josh Love played okay? Yeah. Question mark? Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, what was he? He was... Under 50% passing. Fifty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Two picks. <laughs> But he did have 238 yards, so they were finding big plays. Yeah, you know, man. there were three different receivers who had at least one catch of 30 yards, including, like we talked about in our preview, Bailey Gaither, six catches, 90 yards. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, they look. They're finding stuff. It's uh, if you watch this game in the Pac-12 Network, I salute you because I don't have Pac-12 Network. But Oregon's really good. But they, it's like when you look at the defense stepped up well for the Spartans because. Herbert, Justin Herbert had two picks, was picked off twice, which helped him out. The running game was held pretty low in check, only 134 yards on nearly 50 rushing attempts. And mm-hmm. there's a couple of deep bombs is kind of what hurt them, man, like a 60-yarder, 39-yarder, a couple 20-yarders. So the deep passing game was an impact in this game for why. Part of the reason why San Jose State lost. But they couldn't save the, like the other game you're talking about. They couldn't convert points after that pick where they had the ball. Yeah, they had to go down the field, but they get a pick in that second possession. But then Oregon gets back and goes, ah, touchdown. We're going to score here. Not you. <laughs> and it would it, have been, it would have been really easy for them to pack it in once they went four, down 14 to nothing. Yeah. Cause it was 14, nothing pretty early. But when I, if, if anybody remembers our San Jose State preview, like this is kind of the game that I was, that I was thinking about when I was thinking about their interesting pieces starting to come into their own you know just being more competitive yeah. and when you look at the when you look at the final results they were fairly competitive you know they had five tackles for loss they did break up six passes do you realize they've already matched the number of interceptions that they had all last year good for them they had they had two from uh jesse osuna and dakari monroe that's a positive you know, maybe you want to see the offense be a little more efficient because they still were only four of 16 on third down, so they weren't able to stay on the field as much as you might like them to. But they didn't get blown out. You know, They got to within, I don't know, 28-12, I think was probably the closest they got, but they were in it into the third quarter, which I think is a lot better than a lot of prognosticators would have expected. Yeah, they were hanging around. I wouldn't yes. I wouldn't say they're in it, but they weren't getting embarrassed. That's true. And even because when it was 28-6, it could have been terrible quickly. But then they – here's where it kind of changed for them. They get the interception, but they don't get any points. They go two plays, no yards, which 
I don't know what the deal is with this ESPN chart because it seems odd. How do you go two plays and no yards? Oh, sorry. I'm looking at it backwards because I'm dummy. Sorry. I said, <laughs> oh, man. I, this is quality work you're getting here, folks, from us. Oh, no. <laughs> what I was looking at was the they threw the interception and then the defense forced Oregon to like a four and out. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, we're not going to score, set off a field goal. It's 28 6. They stop Oregon there. Then they go, this is a pretty good drive. They go seven plays in 90 or eight, excuse me, 82 yards. It's a pretty big deal. So that, there's a couple of drives here that show that they, hey, they can move the ball. Whether it's Jordan Love or, or excuse me, not Jordan Love, Josh Love, or it's uh, Montel Aaron. They're playing two quarterbacks for who knows why, because uh, Josh Love got to start in this game. I don't get that. I don't know what they're doing. But uh, they had a few drives here and there where they looked well, good enough. So are they going to win a game this year? I don't know. At least they're not getting going out. Maybe. They do but get to, they do they, get to I mean, play there's, Nevada. <laughs> yeah, there's still definitely a, a lot of prove it when it comes to these Spartans, but oh, yeah. this is definitely a step in the right direction. So we'll see what they do next time. But they're they're like you like you mentioned, Matt. They they're showing a few pieces here and there where they are show where they can say, Hey, we have a good receiver here. We have a guy who can sort of throw the ball. Defense is getting better. And again, they still don't have Tyler Evans and we'll see how long he's out. And that's another piece that maybe that'll help them get a win if he's able to uh, come back and do something decent. Well we should also mention that Josh Oliver had one of the better athletic catches of the weekend as well. The tight end. That's right. Yeah. Six catches, forty one yards. And if you haven't seen that touchdown, go look it up on Twitter. It's a pretty good one. Twitter it's probably in our highlight post we did too. I put a bunch of highlights for every game, so go scroll through that and see what we could find because who doesn't like awesome catches, right? Yes. There's Everyone almost, likes that. There's a close one and then when we talk to Boise later with Raj, but it's a one that was a near a close one. All right, mm-hmm. should we go to um where should we go to next? Let's go to the real grand rivalry. That's right. So I stopped watching this game, and I probably shouldn't have because it was close. And then, hey, New Mexico, let's just score a lot of points and win 42-25 and not worry about a comeback against the Aggies. In a lot of ways, it struck me as being very similar to like the inverse of last year's game. Yeah, because Mexico State got up to, what, a 27-2 lead or something like that, and they stormed back. But, yeah. Same same points in the second half, essentially, where they scored a lot, but they were ahead and pulling away instead of trying to frantically come back. Well, it wasn't just that. It was, the, to me, the story of the game is turnovers. And New Mexico had five interceptions. That's got to be some record almost for them. And they also, well, no, they didn't actually force any fouls, but they did have the five interceptions. They turned those five interceptions into 21 points. That's how you win, folks. That's exactly how you win, including kind of the game ceiling pick six with 30 seconds left from Marcus Hayes. That's like in the end zone, essentially? He took it back? It was, well, it was about 60 yards. Okay, well, whatever. Maybe it's a different pick I saw. They had, they had so many, I can't got to keep track, right? Yeah, but I think one of the other big takeaways was in our preview podcast, I, I mentioned that I was a little hesitant about the offense's ability to kind of move the chains without Tavaka Tuiwani under center. And I would say, by and large, they kind of addressed pretty much all of the concerns that I had because Sharon Jones, you know, he wasn't totally explosive. He was only 12 of 19 for 127 yards, did have an interception, but for the most part, he did take care of the ball. And Tyrone Owens did step up. You know, he had 30 carries, but he did have 110 yards and a touchdown. So they mostly took care of the football. The defense stepped up big time. It wasn't just the interceptions, but you know, someone like Rashad Epting had one of the bigger performances of the night from any team. 
in the Mountain West. He had two and a half sacks. And as a team, they had nine tackles for loss and really kind of took it to New Mexico State almost from the get-go. Is this defensive effort possibly the best for the, for the uh, Bob Davey era? I guess it depends on how you look at it, but it would definitely be up there. I'm just saying, five five picks, nine TFLs. Yeah, 25 points. It's not great, but three sacks. They they made New Mexico State go to three different quarterbacks in this game. They held a running attack to under four yards per carry. Mm-hmm. I think it's up there, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they allowed the Aggies 4.84 yards per play, which was something that they hadn't done against an FBS opponent in two years. <laughs> the last... The last time I could see a defensive performance like that was in their win back in 2016 against Louisiana Monroe. So, how are we feeling about the at for the Lobos and the rest of the way a little bit? We're only we're early three games in. This was a game that could have gone either way, at two and one overall for the record. Uh, they got Liberty next week. They'll probably be three and one, and then who knows, right? I think as long as they can take care of the football, they're going to have a chance in a lot of these games. Okay. That's easy to say, right? Don't turn the ball over. Also, yeah. did we not mention um, Amir Davis? Did we, his name come up yet? His name did not come up. Four touchdowns. Rushing Pretty touchdowns. good. So, yeah, you had Owens with 100-plus, but he had four touchdowns on the ground, so good for him. Mm-hmm. All right, we ready to go to uh, San Diego State and um, Arizona State? Yes. Or should we do Prairie View UNLV really quick? Let's do Prairie View UNLV. Similar to other Utah State FCS matchups, UNLV blew out Prairie View A&M 46-17, did not pull a Howard, and they're running the ball as we thought they would. And the biggest thing, the running back, um, Dewana Tucker, I believe that's correct, Mm -hmm. he's a pretty good player, only had 61 yards, and he had 200-plus the first two games each. And half of that came on one run. Correct. And they, and also I was reading a couple of recaps because I kind of tuned in and out of these games. They only gave him like, I think three or four carries in the whole first half mm-hmm. when it was still not that's close, but they were down 34 zero at halftime, but they didn't give him a chance to run at all. It's partly you're playing an FBS team. You're down big. You want to pass to get back because their quarterback didn't do all that great. Completed about a third, excuse, excuse me, a third of their passes, but Armani Rogers, she's four rushing touchdowns, five total. Lexington Thomas, Charles Williams only played a little bit, which is fine, seven for 22. But this is, you know, it'll be like Utah State. When you're playing these bad teams, you just got to take care of business and not worry about keeping it close like Wyoming did versus Wolford. Yeah, they they threw the ball 22 times in the first half, and, and Prairie View's quarterback, Jalen Morton, only completed five passes. Not going to win. Not going to win. And and Dewanya Tucker only had seven carries in that first half, ah, too. Okay. It was very few. Yeah. Uh, I guess one concern, don't go 5 of 15 on third downs, UNLV. Yeah, maybe not. Or turn it over three times, but whatever. Four, four, and fourth downs is a pretty good makeup for that third down conversion being terrible. Yeah. And... Yeah, they did what they did. They ran the ball well. They didn't need to pass it all, even though Rodgers, I'd like his percentage to be a bit higher. But it's it's a win. They won well. And moving on to the next game, they are now sitting at 2-1, and one, so good for them. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's go to Arizona State, San Diego State, the Herm Bowl. Fascinating game. This game, first quarter, defensive battle in the first quarter. It was a defensive battle for very long stretches of this game. It was. I was watching, getting, getting ready this morning, watching this game, the first quarter, no points, back and forth. Um, I will say this. Um, we probably shouldn't make fun of Arizona State too much more because uh, Manny Wilkins did pretty well. 
341, two couple touchdowns. The Aztecs' rush defense is what was huge in this game. Mm-hmm. What they normally do, they held what Benjamin to what 21 yards. They could, they had to go in the air, and that's the way Arizona State was able to keep pace this game because they were able to be very successful passing the ball. That's true, but even so, and Keel Harry didn't quite go off the way that I was worried that he might. You know, he did have nine catches, but he only had 86 yards. And a touchdown, too. That's still pretty yeah. good. Well, but then you have, what's his name, uh, Frank Darby go for 127. Mm-hmm. It's, it's... It, well, including, an, including an ill-fated catch, which we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> Let's just get to that now. Go for it. We'll, we'll, you discuss that ill-fated catch there. We'll jump around. That's fine. We do that. So, so if you didn't watch the game, and I, I'm sure that there are going to be San Diego State fans out there screaming that I'm getting something about this wrong. But essentially what happened is on their last drive, Arizona State is moving the ball down the field. And Wilkins connects with Darby on a long pass. And I think he would have been down definitely with goal to go with less than a minute to go. But what happened was it was fourth and ten. And, but what happened is that Trenton Thompson got called for targeting. And so they went to review. Obviously, Thompson got ejected. They went to review, and what happened was that they ruled the passing complete. So even though they were able to move the ball forward 15 yards, you know, there's a huge difference between 15 yards and 45. So Wilkins had to throw up, you know, one last kind of desperate Hail Mary, and San Diego State was able to knock it down and win the game. And you know, people were kind of joking. Yeah, there's probably going to be a rule change after the season or something like that. Why? Well, because they were saying they were making the argument like, yeah, targeting is probably going to be a spot foul now. Why? That's 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 a good question. I, I, mean, I don't know why. There... All I know is that that's some like seriously heads up playmaking. Do you think he did it on purpose? I don't know if that was his intent. But maybe somewhere subconsciously, like he knew it was fourth down and that if he could dislodge the ball, that, you know, the Aztecs would get the ball back. They'd kneel on it and be game over. So, because it's not going to be a spot foul because what, what stops him from doing a pass interference? What stops him from doing a face mask? Because NFL, it's a spot foul for P.I. That's what, true. What's going to stop mean, him from doing horse interference con- And it would have accomplished the same thing. Yeah, incomplete pass, 15 yards. Okay. Because it's this is clearly a close play. That was here's the thing too. Would this have been reviewed had he not been a penalty in question? Would they have reviewed it to see if he caught the ball? I think if he had already been called for targeting, yeah, I think it's an automatic review because they have to determine whether or not. No, I mean, was it, what I'm saying is, had it not been targeting, would they have reviewed that he caught it or not? Because how close it was. Uh, I'm not sure how that works exactly, so I don't want to say one word. Because the other. you can review any play in college, essentially. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is like, oh, it's a questionable call. You're going to run to the line to get a playoff just because that's what I'm thinking. Like, would they have called that if it would have been like, would they have looked at the play again? Because was it was initially ruled a catch, right? Uh, yes. But that's odd too, because they reviewed it because it's targeting. They happened to see something else mm-hmm. because you have, this happens. It's pretty rare. This happens. You'll see either NFL or college. You're reviewing play a, but then they see a side note, or not play A, but portion A, but then they see a portion B, like, oh, hey, we missed this. What is this? Will this impact the play or impact our initial call? Because I've seen calls where exactly like this one, where it's like 
what it may have been targeting or something where instead of them ruling if it's incomplete pass or not, they will say no, he caught it. It was a f- something where it's a catch and fumble or mm-hmm. something completely different, or maybe even targeting came into play. And so it's just an odd situation that this happened where there was targeting called. It's an automatic review, and you can review the whole play. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Maybe if there is a rule change, possibly, maybe you uh, review what you're only reviewing. I mean, it was. I mean, other than that, though, I mean, I feel like it's unfair to say that it came down to just the one play, because the Aztecs stepped up in critical situations pretty much all night long. Like one of the things that stood out to me, and I believe it was, it was midway through this first half, or actually late, late in the first half. Mm-hmm. The Aztec, or not? Excuse me. The the Sun Devils have fourth down at the San Diego State fifteen. And Miles Cheatham, who I singled out in our preview, is saying, I think he's going to have to have an important game. He stepped up. He sacks Wilkins to force a turnover on downs. And then Ryan Agnew, even though he was kind of rough around the edges pretty much all night long, I think he only completed 50% of his passes and he only had uh, 129 yards. Mm -hmm. But like you mentioned, is he going to be able to put together a Chapman-type drive that we've seen? And that's exactly what he did on that drive. They went 11 plays, 85 yards in a minute and a half. And that was the touchdown that was able to give them the lead that they never really relinquished. It's true. Agnew had a Chapman-esque game as well. No turnover. Actually, I should, I should correct myself. They tied the game. That's right. At 20, uh, but yeah. it really. But I think that that's one of those sequence of plays where you know, maybe just as much as that targeting penalty really shifted the game in San Diego State's favor. Yeah, and also like Chapman, or not Chapman, Agamben had a Chapman type game, fifty percent efficient, no turnovers, and also we also wondered, uh, what's this uh, Chase Jasmine character going to do? Oh, just nineteen for one twelve and a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, and, I think it's pretty fair to say San Diego State's going to go as far as the running game could take them. Exactly, and it wasn't anything skewy or wacky where he had a huge 60, 70, 80 yard run. As long as only twenty, mm-hmm. and so Washington had his typical twenty seven average carry right in that area. We didn't know he was going to go for 35. That's pretty tough to do. So they beat Arizona State, who is ranked, not ranked anymore. Aztecs getting a couple votes here and there. And this is a good game, too, because this was back and forth. They had to get the two-point conversion of the game because they scored 11 points that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And it's a good win. Arizona State's better than we thought. We're sort of just – Herm Edwards' joke is kind of fun. But this is a game where we weren't sure they'd win because the backup quarterback, they were only fourth and four or 15 on third downs. They had too many penalties at nine. I guess the last one would have been eight for 70 if that not reviewed. They lost a turnover battle and still won. That's true. So overall, it was a pretty good game for them. It Very, was. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a good one. It's one of these games where it's kind of, kind of like the Stanford game last year. It was super close throughout, and a few plays made a difference. They had the long drive, like he said. Just no power outage, which is thankful. Yeah. All right. Do we have any more uh, games to go through at the moment, or we need to? Um... Of course we do. Oh, <laughs> I closed my uh, schedule up here. UCLA gets trounced by Fresno State in the Rose Bowl. Is, 38-14. Is trounce a good enough word? Because I stopped watching at halftime this morning because I'm like, oh, this is out of hand. Trounce is a good word. It's probably not used enough. Also, I, what I did notice in this game, watching first a little bit, Air, uh, me, UCLA was comfortable letting Mark Rissick Marion throw whatever he wanted within 10 yards, and Fresno State took it and took that and went drive, 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 pass, pass, pass for touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, I, I just want to preface everything by just kind of saying this is the team that I expected to see last week. 
What was the I'm difference then? What was the difference, do you believe? Opponent or lot, game plan or of, what? I mean, maybe some of it had to do with the opponent because we knew coming in that UCLA had some pretty glaring questions along the offensive line as far as how well their defensive line would, would, would space against a pretty decent running game. And Fresno State just basically took them behind the woodshed from the first quarter. And even though they let them back into the game a little bit, in the middle of the game, it was only 16 to 14 early in the third quarter. I never really felt like the Bulldogs were going to let this one slip away just because the defense was dominant. They held UCLA to, you know, only 4.9 yards per play. That's a huge win. Mm -hmm. They held Dorian Thompson Robinson, who I was concerned would be dangerous with his arm and his legs. He only had, you know, 200 yards combined passing and, and running. That's a huge win. They sacked him, you know, once. They forced a few tackles for loss. They held UCLA to one of ten on third downs, so they were able to get them off the field. Good. And the offense took a huge step forward from what they did against Minnesota last week, and that's pretty much on all fronts. You know, Jordan Mims stepped up. He had 85 yards on 20 carries. Keyshawn Johnson had another nice game, eight catches, 85 yards. Marcus McMarion... 22 of 33, 270 yards, five total touchdowns. He pulled a Jerome Bettis there, nine for 16, four rushing touchdowns. Yeah, they were saying on the radio broadcast that I believe he was the first Fresno State quarterback ever to score four rushing touchdowns. And, I mean, they were basically saying that they broke the Bruins as well in the second half. <laughs> and and I kind of can't disagree because if you look at what they did, especially that – they didn't actually score on their next to last drive, but do you see that in the drive chart? 13 plays, 40 yards, 9 minutes and 15 seconds? We're, we're toying with UCLA. I think what their point was to maybe, if they keep the drive going as to try to score a touchdown only, maybe the clock will run out, maybe it won't. Who cares if we give up on downs deep in their own territory? They just beat UCLA up and down the field for 60 minutes, which was kind of what I've expected to see all along. And that, I think is what still makes them a dark horse for a New Year's Day bowl berth. We'll get that later. Um, you know a game we're missing this year that's not going to happen in the Pac-12? What's that? We do not get UCLA and Oregon State. <laughs> oh, that's far. Okay, I know this is we, – we don't talk Pac-12 a ton, but I'm looking at the Bruins' schedule and how bad they've been playing. They might go 1-11, and and their win might, might be against Cal. Oof. Arizona's pretty bad too, but – Colorado looks pretty good. They play Washington. Then they got Cal, Arizona, which we'll see. Arizona got thumped by Houston recently. Utah's mm -hmm. pretty good at Oregon, at ASU, USC, and Stanford. Chip Kelly might be going 2-10 and 10 this year if he's lucky. Ouch. Hot seat? Does that count as a hot seat there on the hot seat coach? No, <laughs> I think he's he's got to have some time to rebuild. Yeah, he will. But still, if you're UCLA, you should never go 2-10. and 10. I mean, I think that Fresno State still definitely has some things to work on. Like, they were maybe penalized more than Jeff Tedford would like, 8, eight for 53. Yeah, that was including, including one that erased a very nice run from Jordan Mims that was nearly 50 yards. So, yeah, there's still some stuff to work on. And coming home against Toledo in a couple of weeks is going to be another non-conference test. But I think there's a lot for Bulldogs fans to feel a lot better about, especially after last week's disappointment. All right. Any last words on this game? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Well, let's do this. Let's take a quick timeout, and we'll bring in our buddy Raj to talk Boise, Oklahoma State. He was there 
and he has some stories to tell. So we'll talk about that momentarily, folks. All right, now it's for the big game. Put it till the end because we have our, our good guest here. We have our good buddy Raj uh, Prabal who does Boise State stuff who gained a lot of followers on Twitter for pulling some shenanigans out there in Stillwater. <laughs> Raj Bleeds Blue on Twitter. That's R-A-J-A Bleeds Blue. So give him a follow. Let's see if we can get you to 1,000 pretty soon. We'll get you up higher because you're about – That would be pretty cool. <laughs> you're at 684 right now. So first off, you made the drive to this game. How far is the drive? Well, so I live in Lincoln, Nebraska now, so um, it's a five-and-a-half-hour drive, and I was planning to do that just Friday morning at a hotel in Stillwater on Friday and Saturday. And the cool thing about the hotel was um, most of the people that came to the game stayed in Oklahoma City or Tulsa. I booked my hotel for Stillwater the day after I came back from the Oregon Bowl game last year because I knew Stillwater would not have a bunch of hotels. Exactly. So so I I had my hotel in Stillwater, and – Thursday, after I got off of work, I just I got the itch. I couldn't wait anymore. So I ended up driving down and staying in Manhattan, Kansas for the night and just kind of walking around in Kansas State Territory. There you go. That's not a bad drive. That's I go to Vegas for stuff. It's about six hours. So that's a, yeah. that's a good drive. That's not too bad. So you drove the game. We saw you on TV quite a bit. So before we get to that, <laughs> what did we? You, who first off, who spotted you with the flags? That wasn't your video. You walking around campus. Yeah, you know, I didn't want to really kind of make it about me. Like, what I did was I Ubered to downtown. There was, a, there was a, I guess, a pretty well-known bar called the Eskimo Joe's. And um, Jeremy, when you interviewed um, the guy from the Oklahoma, and, um, yeah, I Scott, can't remember. Scott Wright. Yeah, Scott Wright. Um, he said Eskimo Joe's, and that's what everyone was telling me. So I just, I had the flag, so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to take the flag. I had the face paint. I'm like, not the face paint, not on the first night. <laughs> and um I just Ubered down there with the flag, and um, I got a drink at a bar, and then I'm like, you know what? Before I start drinking a lot more, it was only like 4 o'clock. I'm like, I'm going to make a couple <laughs> of laps around campus. And I've done that before. I've done that at um, you know, UW and um, shoot at, and, um, Autzen Stadium. So um, I'm like, I'm just going to walk around and look around. And I had my flag, and I didn't want to take pictures of myself and post it. But I'm like, you know what would be cool if someone like, you know, t- I was even thinking to myself, it would be pretty cool. And I did not check my phone at all. I mean, I probably walked around for about an hour. And I'm like, it'd be pretty cool if someone take a, took a picture and put it up. And I guess Barstool, Oklahoma <laughs> State did that. And um, I thought they would delete it because the, they captioned it. They captured it by saying, um, hopefully this guy makes it out of campus. You know, kind of threatening. But, um, you know, the fans there couldn't have been cooler. I walked into a, another bar and um, <clears throat> they a couple guys bought me a couple beers. And then um, that, when the Boise State fans started to show up, I started putting on – and then um, – all the Boise State fans, like some of them recognize me. They're saying, like, hey, are you got that, that guy Raja Bleeds Blue on Twitter? I'm like, yeah. So people started tweeting that, and more and more fans came. So every once in a while in between beers, I would just go outside the bar, start waving my flag around, and then some of the local media guys showed up, and um, Ryan Clady and Alex Guerrero showed up, and um, they did a little hit with Jay Tust on TV, and they asked me just to stand behind them. And, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to just stand in the background and, um, you know, wave the flag around. And one thing that – um. I don't know if you also saw another Oklahoma State fan um, took a picture of me and said, you know, I'm ready for Boise State to leave. Because what I did was I saw a group of Oklahoma State fans just eating their food, and I just nonchalantly went behind them and was just drinking my beer, not even looking at them and waving my flag. So <laughs> that, that gave some traction in Boise. So Go how did, how did T. Boone Pickens Stadium compare to some of the other places that you've been? Um... I'm trying to think if I've ever been to a nicer stadium in my life. Um, that's the billionaire oil money. 
Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is so nice aesthetically. And the whole campus, I was blown away because it's, you know, you think state school. Um, I, I, I didn't think it was that good. But there was, like, gardens and the library was really nice. It was just a really pretty campus. And um, that stadium is incredible. You know, 68,000 people. So it's not that big. But just the way it's laid out with that gigantic TV there, it's, it's really fun to kind of walk around. And um, it, it's really nice aesthetically. All right, so you took a picture. We'll get to the game in a minute, folks, because I've only traveled a handful of places. I've been to uh, just a few places here and there. So you got a pretty good seat. So you were because you're on TV as well a little bit because of where you're sitting. Yeah. How like were you? Like where I I remember seeing a little bit, but you were because they do this shot so tight. Were you like in a huge Oklahoma State section, or do you find your tickets to make sure you're in the visitor section so it's not you by yourself maybe with a bunch of with a bunch of Cowboys fans lurking around so the, and taunting you the whole game. <laughs> so what happened was um I usually um I became friends with the, the guy known as BSU Pimp. Just we I don't even know how we became friends. I think we <laughs> saw each other at a spring game, we started talking and that's when I was writing for Bronco Nation News. So he just kinda chatted up with me and um some of the other guys from Bronco Nation News and um then me and um uh, we tailgated a few times, and um, I sat next to him. And then um, we ended up just going to um, the Baylor game together, and then we went to the Oregon game together. And um, you know, we just kind of became close. So he told me before the game, he's like, "Hey, call them up. I've added you to my account, and we'll put the, they'll get you the best tickets that um, Boise State can get." So I'm like, "All right, cool." Awesome. So I called, bought two tickets. But those tickets, if you looked at where they put Boise State. They did not put Boise State up in a good section. So what happened was, um, of course not. Why would uh, they? Yeah, the VSU Pimp called me up and said, "Hey man, I need to know within like, um, I need to know by the end of this phone call, are you down to pay <laughs> a lot more to move to the front row?" And I just said, "Yes, whatever. I'll just put on my credit card." So whatever it takes. Actually, yeah, whatever it takes. And um, with ESPN, what they usually did is they just kind of like waved at us and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna put you guys on right now, and you know, put the camera on out there." So like, you know, they told us to kind of cheese it up and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So the, those shots after the touchdown, we knew the camera was coming on us. That's all. That's pretty cool. Do that type of stuff. Yeah. So I guess we have to get to the actual football portion of the yeah. game. So I did not see this game live because I was doing a few things. It ended up being forty four twenty one. It was way closer for the whole game. So I was watching this on Sunday morning. I'm like. I thought this game was kind of a blowout. I saw stuff that we'll get to, like special teams, miskeys, which are unfortunate. But this wasn't. Yeah. This was really a reasonably the finals. Let me let me short my tighten it up. My question here: They dropped out of the rankings, one of the polls. They dropped another. The thirteen point deficit is not as big as the game ended up being. I think it was felt as much closer than that after actually watching the whole thing. Do you think that's kind of the same way? Um, I thought that I felt really good at the end of the first quarter. I think it was tied zero zero. Boise State missed a field goal and they had the ball. And um, they were gonna, they were gonna, they were driving. So I felt really good at the end of the first quarter. But after um, Oklahoma State's second score, uh, which I think was the punt block, I started. Uh, Oklahoma State. It seemed like to me, and I, I don't know if Matt watched the game, but so if he could comment. But it seemed like Oklahoma State made a lot of adjustments in between the first and second quarter, and my my confidence started to slip away. And by the third quarter. You know, I just I didn't know. I mean, I I kind of started to feel like we need one of those like pick sixes or a crazy punt block of our own, and um, you knew it wasn't gonna come. And then it just slowly the game just starts slipping more and more. So I I didn't really feel like it was that close in the second half. You know, I I had an ominous feeling, but the thing that was kind of keeping me kind of hopeful is just what happened in, in Fort Collins last year. Just you know, you never know what could happen, but it didn't feel good in the second half. Yeah, I mean. 
watching it from home, it kind of seemed like the one big adjustment that I noticed in, in the time period that you're talking about from in the first half was that Oklahoma was doing or Oklahoma State rather was doing a lot of damage with the zone read. And mm. I kept thinking to myself, how is that big dude? Tyler Cornelius how is he <laughs> running through the Boise State front seven like that because I mean it wasn't glamorous it seemed like he was stumbling pretty much every run he had but I mean he did have a couple of crucial pickups in that first half he did average five and you know a little over five yards per carry and you know even though Boise State kind of held him in check through the air you know he was only four of ten but he did have that big passing play that set up their first touchdown to Tylen Wallace, where uh, I believe it was Jalen Walker that got beat. Right. And so I guess that makes me wonder, like, how much do you think Boise State missed Tyler Horton in this game? I think they missed him quite a bit. And see, here's here's the here's what um here's the reason they missed him because so what I'm reading after the game is that Avery Williams had a, like a hamstring or ankle tweak. Yeah. And, we, we yeah we didn't know that and um in the third quarter me and the guys were saying is like williams is getting killed out there and the thing is the only backup guy in the secondary that we knew we could trust was jalen walker and you know he, he's not as good as williams or horn but he's a guy we could trust but he's already out there so there's no option to it's better to play a hobbled uh williams and he just got targeted over and over and you know walker he's all right <coughs> excuse me, as their third third option at cornerback. But um, if you don't have that lockdown cornerback on one side, and it seemed like DeAndre Pierce just had to, like, who the, the strong safety just had to slide over to Williams' side the whole second half. And um, then you had you, – you knew Hill was going to do damage. And then Cornelius running the ball. It's just Boise State was just stretched too thin with the with the secondary banged up like that. Yeah, I was hoping, like, when I chat with the, like, I chat with the guy at the Oklahoma and when me and our Matt preview figured defense is why they were going to be the edge. But – if those, right. both those guys are hurt, it's, it's a big deal. Like, not make the cliche, cliche, if I could speak, or excuse. Depth is difference between even how good Boise State recruits and brings in compared to Oklahoma State, who's a, a what top three Big Twelve team, or even a, other schools that are like hey six or eighth sure. in their league. And so that's an issue. It's like it's like if you trust a guy, but who are they going to play? Put a put a true freshman who's going to be beat even worse, or a guy who's never played before. That those are tough decisions to make, and like I like maybe like going through and watching what I was going through like first quarter, second quarter. It seemed to be even though I already knew the score coming into the game, it was like a slow burn. It's like okay, they're up four, 17 seven, 20 to seven. Okay, fourteen twenty. Yeah, we're back in it. Then they get the back to back touchdowns. Is kind of what figure. Okay, this game's completely over at thirty four to fourteen. And <coughs> Brett Rippin played well. He had he threw way too many times, but a couple things I noticed besides the secondary being banged up, which very difficult to overcome. The running game wasn't there at Alexander Madison outside of maybe a couple runs. And look at how many times Burt Rippin had to be had to be rushed. He had how time how many times was he sacked? Seven sacks? Jeez. That's also yeah. like that's a huge thing. Like Boise State's offensive line is usually really good. And he gets sacked that many times, minus thirty rushing yards, whatever came from sack yardage. He was harassed all day long. Ten TFLs. That line just got manhandled and that's why they had to pass for so often being shotgun as much as they were. Well, you know, when I was talking about adjustments, I was um, I was kind of referring to the adjustments that Oklahoma State made yeah. on defense because um, well, well, Boise State, like even though they didn't score in the first two drives, and you know they had a I don't know like a twenty five yard field goal that they that they missed, but they were moving the ball pretty well, just kind of settling in. I think the 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 real switch that they made was um, 
and we I talked to a bunch of fans about this, is Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator. I think he's from Duke. He's a new guy, and he's aggressive. And I think he made the decision, like, let's put their quarterback on his back. And if he beats us, he beats us. And Rippon did a few times. He did beat the blitz with the throw. But they just – I don't know if they were rushing more or how they were getting more pressure. But um, Boise State couldn't counter with Madison, which they needed to do. But they were just uh, – the guys that were blitzing just got Madison before the line. And – um at least hit him before the line. And I think that was the adjustment that yeah. they just said, we're just going through the house at Ripon and it worked. Yeah. I saw that too. Cause the first couple of drives, they went far. They had the, that one in the end zone. Was that to, um, Oh shoot. That, the one John that was, Hightower. John. Yeah, yeah. The one that was just bobbled out of bounds that they reviewed it. Like that could have been, been a big difference. Had that been a touchdown. Right. But, man. It's, but you're right. Adjustments weren't just like them go attacking. Oh, it was, I guess attacking, but, there was something that changed, like you said, after the first couple of drives, first quarter plus, it looked like a different team out there for Oklahoma State, what they were doing. And it's it's good coaching on them. They did a good job in making those changes to figure out here's what we can do because I thought there'd be, well, just more points for Boise, but they, they made the moves and got it done, and they won convincingly after basically that late second half where they took over business, took over the uh, whatever. They started dominating, I'll say it. They played quite well, even though 13 points – or not – no, I can't do my math. Twenty three points, right? Is that what we got here, Matt? Are you the math? Who's the math? Who's yeah. the math guy here? Who can do math? <laughs> <laughs> Too many points. It's like, are you disappointed? I think we're disappointed. But was there something that makes you feel optimistic about this game? Well, I'm optimistic because we're not going to play anybody with this type of talent level for the rest of the year. There you go. So. And we did look pretty good the first two games, and our quarterback is a stud. So that makes me feel pretty good. Um. Um. I don't know if the special teams, if that was uh, because I didn't, I haven't watched any highlights. Actually, I just looked at the box score for the first time um, about ten minutes before he called because um, <laughs> I want to hold off the rehashing of the game. So I don't know what happened on the punts. If those were just two bad breaks or if there's some real issues, and I don't know if the offensive line just if it's a coach thing or because they played really well. The offensive line played really well the first two games, and um, so I, I don't know. I, I feel feel good we're coming off the bye in wyoming um <laughs> I, I don't know what happened against wolford i'm guessing um offense offense is terrible that's all that's the cliff notes offense sucks <laughs> okay so boise state will have a bye and go crush wyoming and laramie which will feel good and then um, defense can make some moves a little bit it may not be 40 to zero but you right. know how their defense is they'll do a little bit of something Right. So, but what I'm thinking is if Boise State can go take care of Wyoming on the road, which I think they will, if they could take care of San Diego State at home without Christian Chapman, that's a nice break. And um, that's a good win to put under a belt. And then the Mojo might be back. And um, kind of like last year, I'm hoping that we go 11 and 1 instead of 12 and uh, instead of 10 and 2. But um, if we get those two wins after the bye week, I think Boise State should be back on track. Really? Yeah. Cool. I mean, I think oh, go ahead, I was going to say, I think the best thing you can say is like we've seen Boise State bounce back from this yeah. before. Right. And, you know, it wasn't as though they gave up late in the game. It wasn't like a full-on collapse or anything like that. Even though Brett Rippon was pretty much under pressure the entire 60 minutes, you know, they still were able to move the chains. They were still 50% on third downs, and they were 3 of 4 on fourth downs, too. So they showed a willingness to kind of take chances and try to stay on the field, try to keep up with the Cowboys. And that is the kind of thing I think bodes well for this team in the long run. Because with, like, you know, one game, I'm not going to panic about Boise State. And I really don't think that Broncos fans should either. No, and really quick, I remember now, Rise, you're talking about the punts. It was basically Oklahoma State timing it perfectly. That's what the two punt blocks were. There's something like a two-second thing. They're saying how they – whatever the time it takes to normally get a punt off, 
they kind of I don't know how they did it. They got good coaches. They figured that something out. It still comes down to blocking, but it's some timing issue where they either knew the count or were able to get a jump immediately and were able to get back there. And there's that. And then the line didn't play great. And that kind of led to two blocks, but those are fluky. Those are fluky things, even though they happen and it aided in Oklahoma state winning, those aren't going to happen all the time. And so it's not like something they should worry about too much. You should control it and make sure it doesn't happen again. But they're just kind of one-off type items that happen in the game. And you missed a field goal that hit off the upright the first one. It's like, geez, the touchdown that was nearly had in the first couple of drives right there. There are chances like they could have maybe scored a few more points. Also, third down conversion was pretty poor in this game. Only too many, first of all, 22 convert half, which is not bad. But that's just – you're not going to yeah. convert – 14 of 22 or 16 of 22 in any given game because first and second down were going their way. That's why they had 22. Well, and Rippon had like a like a hand within a foot of him. He had to start making moves and had to start looking for mm-hmm. Chase Blakely who got six catches because he just had to get rid of the ball. And uh, Blakely got six catches uh, for 30 yards for five yards uh, a catch. So that's why they had so many third downs. All right, should we get to the uh, big picture talk now, I guess? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, before we get to that, um, I kind of want to get Matt's take because I was watching. I was only just watching the game live. Um, I think Boise State's defensive line did play pretty well. I think the um, and um, they were getting pressure with just four or five guys. The problem was is Oklahoma State's quarterback was gigantic and he turned into Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I I do think that the defensive line played well. I just don't know how this guy who I thought. I I remember at the end of the first quarter, I'm like Taylor Cornelius is not going to beat Boise State. And I felt really good. And then he started running, and he was breaking two tackles every single play, even if he got four yards and our defensive line was touching him. Matt, is that what you were seeing too from TV? That is mostly what I was seeing, yeah, because they did get three sacks. You know, Jabril Frazier had the pair. Right. And, yeah, it was just it – was, it was really strange because, like, you're not used to seeing Boise State miss so many tackles or so many broken tackles. But I really think that's more of an aberration than anything to be seriously concerned about. Okay. All right. So now we ready. should we um. So here's the thing we're talking about: New York Six stuff. We may do some weekly thing, possibly. That's in the works. Yeah. Um. So this loss, like as we mentioned, I think either when me and Matt ended the, the first part of this, this loss does clearly does not knock Boise State out of that running for getting to a big money bowl game, because we've seen when they went to festival, what did they lose rush two regular season games and still two won- regular season games. Yeah, Air Force and Ole Miss. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the Ole Miss opener than Air Force weird one of the weird Air Force losses over the past couple of years. Yeah, West and Steel Hammer game. Oh yeah, Jesus, he's a stud. But yeah. they lose this game. That's one loss. Fresno has a loss. San Diego State has a loss. Obviously, this is the best loss if you're gonna go that route at the moment. I would say because Oklahoma State's now top fifteen in both polls. It looks like UCF. Yeah. Here's where it matters. It comes down to whoever wins the conference, and right now UCF because they're sitting at sixteen. And they missed the North Carolina game. So that that's – or no, no, that was South Florida, was it? Or No, that that was UCF. No, oh, I'm looking at – the schedule's wrong. There it is. I was looking at FAU game. So that game's canceled, which could come back and be an issue for strength of schedule-wise if they – since they do use that. The, the, that's, no, I, an, that's an improvement to their strength of schedule, but continue. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I, I think if you look at the standings, it's the American – the way I look at it is – the American Athletic Conference, they got three teams that are undefeated. But the good thing, if you look at it from Boise State, San Diego State, and um, 
Fresno State's point of view, they're all in the East. So there cannot be a situation where there's two undefeated American Athletic Conference teams playing in the finals where that's a de facto playing game. Yeah. So I think, well, the advantage Boise State has is Boise State will go to the New Year's Six game over any other one loss team, including UCF, just because 13 and one or 12 and one is better than 11 and one, especially when UCF did not play North Carolina and Boise State's only losses to Oklahoma State. So I think if you look at that, that schedule, I think an undefeated team from the American Athletic Conference East probably is in that first hole. And then Boise State with one loss is in the two hole. And I think UCF with one loss would be in the three hole. And then I would guess Cincinnati and South Florida. I guess you could just say anybody in the East would be in the three hole. And then I would put San Diego State and Fresno State in the five hole at with one losses as the 12 and one Mountain West champion. Is that what you guys would think? Well, not if, not if Fresno or San Diego State beat Boise. Because well, they would have to be, they'd be Boise twice in this scenario. Well, that's what I'm saying. They all play each other. And so it's kind right. of the – so if it's a one – here's what I'm getting. Because if it's a one loss – I guess – okay, I get your point. Now, yeah. If it's a one loss, either of those teams, it's meaning they'll beat each other beat each other else. I would still put San Diego State as – if they're, here's the thing. If, they're, if it's the one – got to think kind of bigger picture on this. I remember doing this years ago, and you can get trapped – or maybe even last year. You can kind of get trapped. One loss, one loss, who's played who. If you think about what overall – if San Diego, San Diego State has one loss – it's only to Arizona State. That means they would have beaten Boise at least at least once. Or no, excuse me, sorry, they beat Arizona State. Sorry, Stanford, right? That yeah. means they would have either beaten State Boise once or even twice. Probably twice, yeah. Yeah, once who, or twice. Who knows what Utah State will do? They look pretty good. But I'm saying at least you Boise State yeah. once. So if it's a, but you're right, a one loss Boise is going to be above San Diego State. But I would argue a one loss Fresno or San Diego State would be possibly even above any American team. Because look at UCF. Unless they go out and destroy Pitt, but Pitt looked awful versus Penn State. That's true. SMU's terrible. Memphis can put a ton of points. Navy will put a ton of points. I don't trust Cincinnati at all to win more than maybe eight or nine games. It's really UCF, I think. And who is the other undefeated team at the moment? South Florida? South they, Florida. But they play each other the final week of the season, and late losses hurt them. So I would put, right now, clearly undefeated whoever, UCF, since he, undefeated American champ, number one. Number two, one loss Boise, but number three would be I would put a one loss boy, one loss San Diego State, one loss Fresno above a one loss UCF. My take is somewhat similar. I just think that because we know Boise State, Fresno State, and San Diego State all play against one another, if one of those teams sweeps the other two, that team is going to have a better resume yeah. than than any of the top three teams sweeping any of the other top three teams in the American. Because UCF's schedule is garbage, with or without <laughs> North Carolina. Because Pitt's terrible. Fe. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's they're okay. And even it. and even if they beat up on Memphis twice, like they did last year, Memphis hasn't really beaten anybody yet. Like they beat up on Mercer and they beat up on Georgia State. Congratulations. Like their their strength of schedule isn't actually that much better. By Sager and it's sitting at one forty nine right now. Yep. UCF's is sitting at two twenty four. Two twenty four. That not is. A typo. 96 you, by, by worse com- than any FBS te- teams are there out there. 130, remember, folks. And by comparison, San Diego State, Boise, and Fresno are 34, 46, and 61, respectively. So they've all played above average schedules, you know, and assuming that they go into their matchups as like, you know, eight and one or nine and two teams, those are going to be fairly significant wins for whoever wins those games. And I just don't see. 
you know, a 10 win South Florida, if they lose to UCF, like South Florida hasn't played anybody. Memphis hasn't played anybody. You know, if UCLA falls off the map, like that's great. Cincinnati beat them. But guess what? They played a trash Miami of Ohio team, too. And Alabama A&M and an Ohio team that's good, but not great. So I just don't see the overall resumes stacking up as well as any team from the Mountain West that would beat the other top teams in the conference. Also, here's I'll I'll pose a question to both of you, but here's one one thing for uh, Boise State schedule that clearly helps them out is uh, BYU somehow might be sort of good beating Wisconsin and um, doesn't in Fresno and San, and San Diego State both play Hawaii who could be a pretty good team as well so mm-hmm. I think there's more teams that are better but the way Matt you said if, if one, one of these three teams sweeps the against each other for both of you and Raj would that team be ahead of an undefeated UCF team or would they be ranked high enough just because they're already ranked 16th that they would be high up no matter what and they wouldn't jump a one loss Mountain West team that sweeps San Diego State, Fresno, or Boise in whatever order? I think fairly or unfairly, some UCF's going to have to stumble at some point. Well, I'm saying what if they don't? I'm What if they are 12-0 with the Kansas if they game? Don't, if they don't, then the Mountain West is kind of screwed right later wrong yeah, way, yeah. I think. That, I, mean, that, I, I think Boise State might, might get some consideration in this scenario, but I just think it's it's too hard and it shouldn't matter but UCF would be riding like a 25 game win streak or something and to like leave them out uh, for a one loss Mountain West team that that's just hard to sell to the public whatever the computers say but if they're going by using what they say strength to schedule and beating teams with winning records I'm just saying like yeah, look at Boise they, I know Nebraska doesn't look very good but what if Troy went to the Sun Belt what if Oklahoma State's top two or three in the Big 12 what if BYU turns around wins nine plus games this year Utah State's way better. Fresno's going to have 10 wins. Utah State could have 10 wins. Just saying. San Diego State could have 10 wins. Wyoming could have like 8 or 9 wins if their offense could score 12 points or more in a game. <laughs> I, I I just looking overall. I know we know this league closer, but it's if they are going to go by teams with winning records as a indicator, Boise's going to have at least uh, – who's not going to have winning record? UConn and um, New Mexico? Like They might face t- ten t- nine teams with winning records. At least, but Air Force can have a winning record. Maybe oh, that's why I went nine. Like, here's the heaps of questions: CSU, Air Force, and New Mexico. BYU is weird because they won last week, but <laughs> you know, I'm just saying eight teams could have winning records on their schedule, right? Well, right. I, I think that Boise State would one. Well, I don't. I don't think that Boise State will get ahead of UCF. I think it'll get interesting if they if they have one loss. And Cincinnati's undefeated. I think that because Cincinnati, I just looked at the rankings. Cincinnati and Fresno State have zero votes in the AP, which is pretty surprising for me. Yeah. Cincinnati's undefeated and does not have one vote in the AP poll. It's true. And they beat UCLA, and Hawaii had votes when they beat just a uh, CSU and a New Mexico State. So Yeah, so that it, it's um, people don't think very highly of Cincinnati, probably for obvious reasons. Because it's Cincinnati and what's it, Fickle coaching their team or something? Well, well, they beat. I don't know what AA. Okay, Alabama AMU. FCS so <laughs> team. That's why. Right. <laughs> that's what just paid, so. Well, and let's not forget that some of the teams in the American their their schedule is going to get dragged down if only because some of the best teams in the other group of five conferences for the moment have beaten American teams. Like, North Texas just went out and whooped SMU last week. And Arkansas. And Buffalo just went out and beat Temple, you know, last week. 
So, and both of those teams, by the way, are three and zero. So, even though Conference USA and the MAC still have kind of an upward climb as far as their strength of schedules are concerned, you know, if as long as they stay undefeated, they're still going to be in the conversation too. That's fair. No, any undefeated team will be. But remember, a couple years ago, Western Michigan with the Cotton Bowl, Boise State I think was ahead of them when they were with one loss. Yeah, yeah I'm just right. I'm just saying overall, the American has a lot of trash schedules. No, they do. You're not wrong at all. And and the and the teams that UCF or South Florida whoever would beat is not going to do them very many favors. I don't think it's going to move the needle among voters. Like because UCF doesn't play Houston this year, and Houston looks to be pretty good, mm-hmm. even though they got whooped up by Texas Tech yesterday. Because maybe I mean, Arizona's lot... terrible. That's why too Arizona's not looking any doing them any favors either. <laughs> there, there's a lot of good scenarios, and we're not going to sit here and break it's down. Too early. It's too early. It's too early. But there's a scenario where like Houston could beat USF, and then USF could, you know, win the division still yeah, by maybe. beating Cincinnati. So, I, you know, I, I think I would kind of retract what I say because you guys. I think that. If you have a one loss, I think Boise State's going to be the best one loss team, and in that scenario, obviously they're not competing with the one loss um, San Diego State or Fresno State. It just be against a one loss AAC. So I think that's the number, and I think everything else is a toss up: Cincinnati, Florida State, Houston, Fresno State. Well, I, I said Florida State I and mean USF, um, and um, I think that's all a toss up. So, it's. Do you think it hurts that Cincinnati? Uh, USF, UCF, they all three of them just play each other the last two weeks of the season. Do you think that hurts them or helps them? If you lose. Well, if it's if it's anything like last year, it might hurt them. I mean, let's not forget that Fresno and Boise played each other. Right, and, and Fresno State was gaining steam. Yeah, and if Boise had won that first matchup in Fresno, I think that you know, it, I think it would have helped them a lot more than it ended up helping Fresno by kind of vaulting into the top 25 at the very last minute. But I guess we'll find out. I don't know. I would say it hurts because late losses hurt because you drop in rankings. Yeah. And well, so that's my point. Like, if, if it's end of season scenario, UCF, USF, they play each other late. It's like, even if it's, well, I guess that could be a technically elimination game. But my point is, like, if it's a back-to-back game or week 12 or 13, you lose, are you going to really rebound even if you do win your conference? Yeah. It's it's tough. It's it shouldn't matter when you lose, but it's when it's who it's who you play. And it is still when you play. That's why Boise losing now, Fresno losing, San Diego State losing. It's like you said earlier. They could have a ten game winning streak when all of a sudden done end of the year it could, instead well, of a two game winning streak. If Boise State does not lose another game, they'll be ranked probably about twentieth at the Mountain West Championship game. I think that's pretty reasonable, right? Yeah, I think they would be higher than that if they went undefeated from here. Yeah, <laughs> they should so. be. Should be. That's the keyword, right? <laughs> well, what, where would um, where would San Diego State and Fresno State be if they went undefeated from here on out? Probably the same, eighteen range. I'd say fifteen to twenty range is where any Mountain West team would be heading into the title game. Would be. That well, sounds about right. The question is where where you would rank them. The question would be where will the college football committee put them? They should be about fifteen. If either of these teams, if either mm-hmm. if any of them sweep, I'd say about fifteen would be about right. Yeah, but it won't be. It'll probably be closer to eight, the eighteen or nineteen, maybe even twenty. Right. right. I'm just saying that's what yeah. the polls do. <laughs> the, the thing that's kind of, um, you know, kind of crappy for like fans is the AAC. These um, 
Cincinnati, USF, and UCF are all just going to stay undefeated for a while because they don't play each other or Houston till way later in the season. They just play the the bottom dredges of the American Athletics. So it's just going to be a waiting game for us. So hopefully whoever is coming out of the Mountain West is getting close to that 20th spot by the time the championship game comes around or even by week 10 and the Americans starts beating up on each other. You're right. That's, I think, the way to go. No, that's a good point because Cincinnati plays – last month they played Navy, USF, UCF, and ECU. Three of those four are good. UCF has some more schedule, Navy, Cincinnati, USF. And when you look at the game on, say, they're ESPN or they get a couple of games in ABC, if you see like four, 13 UCF versus 19 Cincinnati, that makes a big deal. That's a big difference. But, well, um, you know, that's what I'm saying. You're right, though. If they play teams late, they keep winning, winning, winning. Like Boise and San Diego State play in a couple weeks. Boise might be ranked. If they were ranked at one poll, we'll see where they're at. But to get my point, if it's late in the year, like, oh, this team's 13th and 19th. They're just 13th because polls are flawed. And I know the playoff polls are a bit different, but if you keep winning, they're going to say they're not going to move you down if you win. Odds are you're going to move up or move up because somebody loses in front of you. Not necessarily your performance, but the performance of a team ahead of you who stumbled and you get the benefit because they lost and you're the next guy up. That's true. And, and Matt, before before I let you go, um, one thing that I want to say is when – when Fresno State comes to Boise State and plays on Friday night on ESPN2, <laughs> if both teams are sitting at 8-1, and one, you, know how, you know how the voters are. If they see the game on ESPN2, because why wouldn't they watch that, the winner of that game is going to get a, a probably like a two or three spot bump just from that game if both teams are standing at 8-1. and one. I would hope so, yeah. We'll see. We're, here's I think a plan we should do, because this is a, a talk that can go forever. Yeah, I think our plan, which we sort loosely discussed, because that's how we do plans, we do it on the podcast. We may attempt to do some sort of a New Year's Six podcast throughout the week. Maybe not this week, because this this clearly qualifies as the New Year's Six podcast at the moment. <laughs> what we're doing, mixed with our Boise Boise recap. So if you guys want this, let us know. We're probably going to do it, even if you don't respond, because that's what we do. And we may just have just some fun during the week to go over schedules and spend twenty or thirty minutes on this once a week. I think it'll be fun, right? If we can swing it. Yeah, I don't see why not. It's always fun to figure out who to root against. (laughs) Perfect. All right, so that wraps up our week three recap slash near six second half of the show. So, Raj, go, I don't know, go unpack, do some laundry. I don't know what you're doing. Get the the blue paint if it's still stuck anywhere. I know behind the ears is a hard spot to get, so be careful about that. (laughs) Just get that taken care of. But, everybody, thank you for listening. Again, subscribe, tell a friend. Um, If you go to iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever, leave some sort of review. That's Preferably five stars. Say, say we're terrible, but give us five stars. That's fine, too. Uh, MWR.com. Check out all of our stuff throughout the week. we got week four coming up. And for this show, we'll be back probably. We'll see if we're doing two partial podcasts to make it one big one. But we'll see you next time, folks. And let's, um, let's keep it rolling.